Well, right now, it seems like Oregon is going to be in the Pac-12, even though there's no media deal. But what about in the future? Is the Big Ten really a good idea? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. If I sound just like a little raspy, I was indeed in Disney World. And Universal, three at Disney World, one at Universal in Orlando for the uh, past oh, you know four or five days or so. There was a lot of screaming on attractions. Let's just say that. So um, that should come back to normal at some point. But uh, question today from my guy Blazer Duck, who is a question asker extraordinaire. Hey Spencer, I don't get all the love. Hey Blazer Duck, I don't get all the love people have for Oregon to head to the Big Ten. I get the money revenue thing, but I hate every team in that conference, especially Ohio State. (laughs) I love the honesty and would hate seeing Oregon play these teams every year. It also gets freezing cold in that conference. If Oregon were to leave the Pac-12, I would love to see Oregon go to the SEC, unlikely, best teams in college football. To me, funner matchups and way better weather. The logistics of miles traveled are virtually the same. Think about what it could do for recruiting with the weather. Think of it this way. Would you rather play in Tucson or Pullman in November? I know that was a lot. Your thought. Uh, let's start with the Big Ten question, and I'll jump to that, that SEC component. I think there are unquestioned advantages to going to the Big Ten. It, it feels like more of a necessity or advantage, I think, right now, because the Pac-12 is just floating down a lazy river of uncertainty at this point in time. So we don't know. We don't know what the dollar figures are. We don't know if teams are really going to be in it. We don't know where the where the games are going to be. We don't know anything like that. So right now, if you just say Big Ten, oh boy, that's really, really enticing. And then the revenue component, though I'm not that concerned, Oregon's been operating technically, not technically, at a revenue deficit compared to all the other major conferences, except for the ACC, I think, for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. But I've never felt like Oregon doesn't have the money to pay coaches if they want to. Remember, they wanted to give Mario Cristobal, I think, eight-ish million dollars a year, but he decided to go to Miami. That was not a, a financial thing. That was a Mario wants to go home sort of thing. Oregon had the money to pay him. And I think if they find a coach, maybe Landing's that that guy, maybe he's not, who they feel is worth that sort of money, I think they're going to be willing to make that commitment again. So I'm not really worried on that particular front. But I do understand why an athletic department would would look at, or why a university president, of course, because those are the people deciding realignment. We can never let that go overlooked. But I totally understand why an athletic department would look at that and say, yeah, we would like to do this even though it's going to a tougher conference because it allows us to keep pace financially. But that element is why I think there's a little bit more of a drawback than people would realize. Now, the 12-team playoff does help lessen this blow, but the Big Ten is a gauntlet. 
100% is. In Oregon, if, the, if that were to happen, which I don't think would happen this round or else it would have happened already, but let's say in 2030, let's, let's project way, way out here. If the Big Ten were to come calling, I do think Oregon and Washington would go if the offer ever came. That's a pretty big if. I'm skeptical, at least right now. But would they go? Yes. But then you look at what the conference would be with Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue. Like, just keep going down. And yeah, I think Oregon's better than a lot of those programs. And we saw them go at Ohio State and win in 2021. So it's not like it can't be done. But at the end of the day, what you're looking for, really, I, I think Oregon's best path forward because of the position they're in financially, which is much different than other Pac-12 programs, I think they are, are best positioned to stay in the Pac-12 right now and have the Pac-12 thrive as much as possible and succeed enough to where it's still considered Power 5, right? Where that's not just the literal label of the conference, but that that's also the perception of the conference. Because going forward, if you're trying to, even into a 12-team playoff, I think getting into a 12-team playoff in the Big Ten is harder than getting into, mm, yeah, I think it's harder than getting into a four-team playoff in the Pac-12 going forward. Because think about it. The Big Ten champion is going to have an automatic in, right? Just by way of the, you know, the, the five power conferences and the Pac-12 will have an automatic in. Which conference is going to be easier to win? The answer is unquestionably the Pac-12. So you can get into that position without needing to go to the Big Ten. A 12-team playoff is going to have five automatic conference champions and then the highest-rated G5 champion, right? So really, if you think, like, is Oregon going to win the Big Ten every year? No. So in a given year, you're actually going for six spots. So do you have a better chance of getting into a six-spot availability in the Big Ten or a four-team availability where everyone's just kind of building their own resumes and nothing is automatic in the Pac-12? At the very least, it's an interesting question. I would argue it's easier in the Pac-12. And that's ultimately what Oregon wants to do, right? And it's not like the Ducks need to go to the Big Ten in order to recruit at a high level. It's not like Oregon needs to go to the Big Ten to keep up with other schools financially so that they can you know, bring in more money and get facilities. No, they're, they're already there. They just got to bring in the right cadre of players, have the right season, and make sure you have the right coach. And right now it looks like we do. So I don't I don't feel as strongly about the Big Ten teams as you do. Like, how can you hate Wisconsin? All we've ever done to Wisconsin is beat them in a Rose Bowl. Come on. I love Wisconsin. <laughs> I got I got no beef with Wisconsin. We played a couple of outstanding football games, by the way, and we came out on top twice as Rose Bowl champions. So I got no beef with teams like Wisconsin. Um I will say, I don't hate Michigan. My housemate and, and uh, my broadcasting mentor are both Michigan fans and my dad's boss. So I definitely, definitely do not dislike Michigan. Ohio State, I just get annoyed at the, the Ohio State University. Like, okay, we're the University of Oregon. Like, it's, it sounds ridiculous. But 
the SEC thing, just real quick, that, that that's not going to happen. If Oregon ends up in another Power 5 conference one day that is not the Pac-12, the logical landing spot is the Big 10. I don't think the Big 12 offers them enough to make it worth it to go over there. And I don't think the SEC, well, <laughs> I was about to say, I don't think the SEC would come after Oregon. But, I mean, the SEC doesn't need Oregon, right? That doesn't provide any value. The reason the Big Ten, part of the reason the Big Ten would make more sense is that the Big Ten is looking to expand West. The SEC is not yet. That's what was so groundbreaking about the USC-UCLA move to the Big Ten. It's like, oh, okay. So geography and regional competitiveness out the window. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. So maybe one day. Maybe. I don't think you can rule out anything at this point. But... SEC, highly, highly unlikely. Uh, but the Big Ten, I'd rather see the Pac-12 thrive. I'd, I'd rather be Clemson in the ACC than try to make it as, you know, a, a, a team in the Big Ten, right? Like Clemson has been a playoff viable program year in, year out. The ACC has been very, very weak, and they're still right there. So I, I, I'm a fan of staying in the Pac-12. Maybe it's because I'm a little traditionalist on uh, that front. Uh, something that's not traditionalist is the transfer portal. And I think there's a reason to feel really optimistic about the transfers Dan Landing and company have brought in this year. There's also reason to feel optimistic that you can find anything you need at FanDuel Sportsbook. We're past the midway point in the NBA season, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel. March Madness is right around the corner. Got some Oregon basketball chatter coming for you later in the show. Season's still alive. Never say die. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. You can bet basketball. You can bet football. Hey, you can bet the XFL or the USFL. Those leagues are going on right now. If you're into that, golf betting. Wildly entertaining. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, so I think I answered every part of that particular question. Um, <laughs> uh, I just I love the I love the passion that Blazer Duck has has got there. I'd hate seeing <laughs> I hate I hate, the, I hate every team in that conference, especially Ohio State. I'm here for the juice. I'm here for the spice. I really am. All right, so Oregon's got a lot of transfers coming in, and we've talked about a number of them on the show. Jordan Birch, defensive end, probably the most important transfer. Certainly the one we need to step up the most. I mean, DJ Johnson was not our best defensive lineman, but was our best pass rusher, at least by sacks last year. I think Dorless led the team in pressure, so I think Dorless was a little more consistent. But either way, you lost one of your top two defensive linemen from a defensive line that was good against the run, but stunk at getting pressure. Birch is really important. Justin Jacobs is kind of like... Justin Flo, but we're on the other end of it. You know, a lot of potential at Iowa. Didn't live up to it because of injuries. Now he's getting a second chance. You never know. So Justin Jacobs is in there. You got Kyrie Jackson, Evan Williams. I mean, all these sorts of names. And I was thinking about this the other day because that's what I do in my free time. While I was roaming around Disney World, this thought popped into my head. I think there's a reason to feel really optimistic about the transfers Oregon has brought in this year. Not just because each specific player brings something unique and, and capable, 
to the roster, to the program. But because look at what year one brought in terms of transfers for the Ducks. Now, there were a couple who didn't do a lot, like Caleb Chapman, for instance. But the transfers who did come in, well, Bo Nix was the first one. Yeah, that worked out pretty well. Bucky Irving. I remember very specifically. I don't know why. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember every single take I've ever had on the air because I've made, I don't know, probably a couple thousand at this point in my life. But I remember my Bucky Irving take very specifically because I did a Jason Windhorst, you know, the NBA reporter and commentator who had this hilarious bit on ESPN about... uh, you know, I'd watch for the Utah Jazz because they traded Royce O'Neal for a first-round pick. Why would they do that? And he put the two fingers out like that. And I was looking at Bucky Irving going into the year, and I evaluated him when the transfer was announced. But then, like, a couple weeks before the Georgia game, I remember coming on the show and saying, you know, Bucky Irving was a guy. Chris Collinsworth style. Now here's a guy. It's not a great Collinsworth impression, but, you know, raspy voice. So... Here's a guy coming in in Bucky Irving who led Minnesota in all-purpose yards as a true freshman. I looked at that said, wait a minute. So he wasn't just a, a number two running back, which he was, but he was a highly productive number two running back who had a good Power 5 school, is now going to a better Power 5 school. Why would he be doing that? Turns out he was Oregon's number one running back this year. Led the team in rushing. Some takes age well, some don't. That one did. Noah Whittington, by the way, did a lot of great things. I love Noah Whittington. I, I think they're a really, really fantastic tandem. But you just keep going down the line. Like those two guys, okay, yeah, they were really good. And, and Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers came over with Coach Tuioti from Nebraska. Yeah, okay, they were really good. Jordan Riley was solid. Casey Rogers was solid. They were nothing special, but they were starters, regular contributors. Christian Gonzalez came over from Colorado. Yeah, he's going to be like a top 10, 15 pick in the NFL draft. Oh, yeah. And, and then another transfer was, was Chase Cota. My point here is those tra- that, that group of players as a haul for, you know, a, a, as a collective transfer portal class were pretty outstanding. So right now, we have no reason to believe. We've got no information to go off of except that this staff has shown themselves to be highly capable of identifying needs and bringing in players who fit what they want to do and turning them into productive players. Chase Cota was Oregon's third leading receiver this year. Bo Nix was, you know, a Heisman contender at one point in time. Their top two running backs both came in in the portal. Our best individual defensive player, came in via the portal last year. So does that reset the bar on expectations? I kind of think it does. I kind of think it has to. Because if you look at that group of players and say, well, here's what they brought to the table. Here's what they were capable of. Here's what they did. That, that, that's now where we're going to measure this next batch of transfers up against, right? I, I think that's a perfectly fair thing to do. And it's such a huge part of being a coach now. You've got to be able to add transfers, to fill needs, bring in players who can contribute right away. And it's a difficult balance to do that while also developing some of the younger players on your roster who show a lot of potential. 
But I, I think that haul in year one was really good. And, and I think this year's uh, transfer portal class, you know, Treshawn Holden's in the mix. And uh, I'm really intrigued by the offensive linemen. Next time I get John on the show, I think we're, we're going to talk about them because they've got big shoes to fill. They've got big, big, big shoes to fill. Literally, because Alex Forsyth is a big person, but production-wise, it's really good. But so I, I think right now the coaches deserve our trust and respect on that front. And it kind of, you know, just as this thought marinated in my brain for a couple of days, roaming around in Orlando with my brother and a couple of our friends, I was just like, yeah, I, I now have pretty high expectations for some of these guys. Like at least two of them should not just be good – starting players but should be high impact players i mean christian gonzalez high impact player bo nix high impact player top tier two of the best guys on the team so anyway had that thought i thought i'd share because that's like you know mostly how uh this particular show works by the way you guys have loaded up the mailbag tremendously one thing on uh on that front i want to see who uh sent me the question it was uh from sco underscore yo xx i don't know uh i didn't come up with it he did wanted uh some position group kind of kind of previews expectations going into spring practice which is i don't have a start date on that i don't know i'll be honest i didn't i didn't check before i came on here to record the show but if you've got questions about specific position groups that you want me to break down hit me with them and those will be like high priority uh questions in the mailbag so to speak you know i tend to answer them in the order that i receive them but if you ask something like that that'll probably be a higher priority question that gets uh that gets answered right away so one question that got answered last night though was will oregon's season continue on the hardwood the answer is yes it will, at least for today. Don't know when you're listening to or watching this, but they've got UCLA in the semifinals. Now, going into that game against Washington State, which I do want to talk about because it was it's almost very Oregon. Let's go through the game first, and then we'll talk about where they stand in March Madness. Oregon gets off to a blistering hot start. They look like a Final Four team. They look like the team of destiny. They've got a 19-point lead on a red-hot Washington State team. And then at one point in time, later in the game, after they built that lead, they were losing. And it felt bad. It felt sketchy. And it looked like, mm, this is going to feel really, really bad if they lose. But, 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 they got it done. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. You got to get it done. You got to execute. They did well enough. I won't say great, but they did well enough down the stretch. And everybody's favorite player on here, I know, is Will Richardson. He is still in his head, but he made some some solid plays. But Keyshawn Bartholomew gets the shout out here. Well, and Folly Dante first. Washington State had a drive that looked like it was going to tie the game, and he eviscerated that thing off the backboard. Because that's what Infali Dante does. But Keyshawn Bartholomew gets the big shout-out here. Almost as big of a shout-out as Built Bars. Because if you want a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, Built Bars are the way to go. I've always got one in my backpack, golf bag, pantry, literally at all times. 
They're high protein, low sugar, covering 100% real chocolate, and they taste delicious. Bunch of incredibly good flavors like churro, mint brownie, my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. They've got everything you could need. They taste like candy bar, but they're actually good for you. So go to built.com, get your next order of built bars, or go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club to pick up the tasty treats that we know as built bars today. Keyshawn Bartholomew gets the shout out here because he matched the season high with 17 points, but it's when he scored. Down the stretch, Kuznard had gone cold. Richardson is still in his head from what I can see and just is not out there to score. He's a facilitator and defender and an orchestrator, which I guess is fine. But man, the guy knows how to score. I don't know. That's a different conversation. Bartholomew was awesome. He's hitting threes. He's getting in the lane. He's so twitchy. He's quick. He's got an insane vertical for a guy his size, and he hits clutch shots. And then Folly Dante makes big plays, and they played well enough down the stretch to win against a pretty solid and red, scorching hot Washington State team. They'd won like seven in a row, and, and Oregon was able to knock them off. Now they've got UCLA. Now. That game looked really, really good, then really, really bad, and they walked away with a win. Survive in advance. If you win two more, you're into the NCAA tournament no matter what. Let's say that doesn't happen. Can Oregon build an at-large here? The answer is yes. it's, It's possible. Not likely, but definitely possible. Beating Washington State, that helps. Moves them to 19 and 13. If they beat UCLA... There's a very real possibility because they're in the next four out going into that Washington State game. Win helps. But if you then get a win over UCLA, who just lost, a la Chris Boucher, sadly. Gosh, that was tragic. That team could have won it all. They went to the Final Four, so they got pretty close. But if, if, if you beat UCLA and then lose in the Pac-12 title game, that win could suddenly make things really interesting on the bubble. It is, it is not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. They were in the next four out, a win over Washington State, losses from other teams. I haven't directly compared resumes and results and all that sort of stuff, but you get a win, the likes of which UCLA would be, you could do some big, big things to get into that field of 68. Or, yeah, But, you know, it'd be more fun if they just – Beat UCLA and then beat one of the teams on the other side. That'd be better. Yeah. Guess we'll find out. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And go Ducks.